We are continuing our whole shebang series. We're doing this throughout all of 2010. And we are now in the second section. Uh, hopefully you have a binder. And in the second tab, it's entitled The Exile. And we have broken up the Old Testament into two main sections, two main stories. It's the Exodus story and the exile story. The Exodus story is the climb towards prosperity, and the exile story is the fall from it. And last week, we were talking as part of the, as part of the exile story that the prophets of God in the Old Testament, they gave warning after warning after warning and warning. We're familiar with warnings. Uh, it says right on here, caution hot so you don't sue them. Uh, none of these are hot anymore, but uh, there's. But we're familiar with the whole concept of a warning, and God was warning the people, saying, "Saying, don't go after other gods. Don't have, be divided internally. Don't make uh, allies with with the enemy throughout this whole journey." God is warning and warning and warning, and that's what we talked about last week. Warning up to the point of 587 BC, which is the moment where the exile. Occurred, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Is what happened uh, in the exile. The exile is when the, the God's people, their home was was Jerusalem. It was the city of God, the city of David, and it, they were exiled out of that city. And for the most part, they were taken to Babylon. Thousands and thousands of Israelites were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, stripped away from their homes, from their families, from their friends, from their lifestyles, from their uh, uh, jobs, occupations, the whole thing, exiled, torn out of that whole scene. And the way that we're making this not just a history lesson, but we're making it connect with our lives, is that many of us here in this room are experiencing some sort of exile, some sort of way we are not where we want to be. We're in a place where we don't want to be, and that Exile is, uh, is, is the place that is the result either of our own decisions, perhaps not paying attention to the warnings of God, or they're for reasons that are outside of ourselves, for reasons that are, that are not our own uh, uh, fault, whether it's the circumstances around us, we've lost our job as a result of the community, of uh, the, the economy, or we've lost a loved one that we care about deeply, and we, so we're in this this. Uh, this difficult place, this exile. And so what we're looking at is what the prophet said to the people of God who were in exile in order to discover what does God want to say to us in our exile experiences. And so to that end, uh, I invite you to pray with me. Father, I just ask over these next few moments that you would bring clarity into this room. God, we're looking at a story that is 2,500 years old, and it was so huge for them. And for most of us here in this room, we just, we just don't connect with that story. We're not familiar with the concept of being exiled, and what does that mean? So, Father, I pray for your supernatural translation of this story, God, that you would translate it into our situation, into our hearts, into our homes, into our situations. God, that it would... Speak to us here today, 2,500 years later. We are thankful for your living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're jumping into the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. If you brought your Bibles, hopefully you did. Once again, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. It's good to look at the words together if you're interested in learning more about Scripture. If you have not uh, 
purchased a Bible yet or for whatever reason, you can pick one up. We'd love to give you a free one so that you can join us here in this journey. Isaiah is basically in the middle of your Bible. If you go, if you crack it down the middle, uh, you'll probably land on either Isaiah or Psalms. If you land on Psalms, just go to the right a little bit and you'll find Isaiah. And I'm going to look at uh, Isaiah chapter 40 a little bit here this morning. And actually, I want to jump in just a few verses before chapter 40 to kind of set the stage a little bit. Jumping back to chapter 39, verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Here in chapter 39, we are at a place prior to the exile. We are at a, at a place where they're still leading up to the exile. It's still warning, warning, warning. And here what we read is that what's going to happen soon is that your stuff, all of it, will be taken to Babylon. And what happens is a significant break between chapter 39 of Isaiah and chapter 40 of Isaiah. And what happens is if we're reading Isaiah and we're not aware of this break, then we just flow right from 39 into 40 and we miss the fact that there is a huge break between these two. Some actually refer to it as 1st Isaiah and 2nd Isaiah. That 1st Isaiah is chapters 1 through 39 and 2nd Isaiah is chapters 40 through 66 because chapters 1 through 39 are before the exile and then there's the exile a huge moment in, in the history of, of God's people, and then chapters 40 and beyond. And there is, a, there is a huge difference here. And so the people then after chapter 39 are, are exiled. They are scattered, spread around, most of them sent over to Babylon. And look at the first word that God says to his people in chapter 40. The first word is what? Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort. Comfort, my people. Whenever a word is repeated in the poetry of the Old Testament, it is for emphasis. Comfort. Comfort. The first thing that God wants to say is comfort. See, here's the deal with regard to our exile experiences. Comfort is instant. Comfort is immediate. That there is chapter after chapter after chapter in the Old Testament with prophet after prophet offering warning after warning. Warning, 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 warning. And then when the exile happens, boom, comfort is instant. God does not have to sit back and say, I told you so. He's not interested in that space between chapter 39 and 40 where he'll do a little kind of, hey, I, you kind of reap what you sow. Make your own bed and, and eat the cake too, or whatever the phrase might be. He's not interested in those kind of things. He comes in instantly and says, comfort. Instantly between chapters 39 and 40. He goes from warning, 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 warning to comfort. From truth to grace, instantly. The reason that's important is that when we enter into the exile experience, sometimes we have a tendency to wallow. Sometimes we have a tendency to 
feel the weight and the shame and the guilt of our decisions or whatever this might be, and then we sit there and we wallow. And God is not interested in having us wallow for a while, and then he'll bring us comfort. The comfort happens now. First word in chapter 40, comfort. Now. But what's so important is to recognize that the comfort doesn't happen in chapter 39. God's comfort is so amazing, but it doesn't happen prior to the point of no return. We get to this warning, 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 and then when we cross that line, that's where the comfort enters into. At the point where a warning is no longer relevant, that's when the comfort enters into that. Not before that. God doesn't say, warning, 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 ah, comfort, 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 ah, you'll be okay. He says, warning, 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 no, stop, don't do it. Comfort. That's what we talked about last week. God is no fool. I love chapter 40. Love Isaiah chapter 40. And those of you who have been enjoying Scripture for a number of years, you probably spent some time in Isaiah chapter 40. And what God does here in this, in this chapter is he offers comfort and hope to his people who are in exile. He does something very similar to what we saw in the book of Job a number of months ago. If you were here as we started the whole shebang, that, that God says, do you know who I am? Do you know that I'm the one who created? And that sentiment is very similar to what happens here in Isaiah. Look at verse 12 here in chapter 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? In other words, do you realize from whom this comfort comes? Do you realize the power of the one who is offering you comfort instantly? Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who's my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. When, when you enter into that, uh, that, that point of no return, when you cross past this point of warning, warning, and we enter into the exile experience, in order to be reminded of the power of, in the God who offers us comfort, we just need to look at, at his creation, at the vastness, the majesty of the heavens, and say, that is the God that has the power to offer comfort to me. King David understood this uh, prior to this in Psalm 121. He says, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord. Wow, that's the one who offers me help, who offers me comfort who offers me hope. It, re it really is a, a beautiful thing. Comfort is instant. Let me keep on reading here. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? This, is, this means the people of God. Why do you say, people of God? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Why, why would... People, when God is warning, 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 and then we enter into this place, and then we blame God. And we say, God, you've disregarded me. How could you have let this happen? 
For example, Scripture talks about not entering into the covenant of marriage unequally yoked, where one is a believer and one is not a believer. This is a big deal for, for me as a, as a pastor who marries a um, number of you and, and young people, that it, it is a, um, a common story for a young couple in love to say, we have so many things in common. Our spirituality is not in common. I'm a believer, he's not, but we'll work that out. Scripture gives a warning against that, that the unequally yoked marriage leads to a, a difficult journey. And then five years later, in that, in that troubling marriage, then one or both of them is saying, God, how could you have let this happen to me? And there's so much pain and there's so much hurt there. There's so much in that exile experience that now needs to be worked on. It's a difficult journey. And I know some of you in this room can relate so painfully and precisely to that. Or then there's the warning in Scripture about pretending that you're married to someone but not being married to that person. About having all the benefits of being married without entering into the covenant of marriage. And then after living together with that person for a year and, and he or she leaves, then we say, God, how could you let this happen to me? That doesn't seem fair, really. That it was the God who was telling us, that's not the way I've designed it. That's not what I want for you. I want something more, better for you. And then we blame God afterwards, as they did, saying, I'm disregarded by my God. God offers comfort. Let me keep on reading. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Keep in mind, this was... This was said to those who were in exile, who needed comfort. The message of the exile is not a pointing finger from God saying, see, I told you so. It is a message of hope. The message of the exile is there is hope for each one of us. It's a beautiful thing to cling to. There is hope. Now, I want to jump to another prophet who spoke to the exiles. It's actually the next book in your Bible, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. And in order to understand what Jeremiah is saying here, uh, there, I just want to let you know that in chapter 28, there's a, a brief little story where a false prophet, one who is not speaking for God, says to the people in exile, says, it's only going to last two years. After two years, you'll get back to Jerusalem. Just hang on, hold your breath for two years. And Jeremiah, who's speaking for God, says here in chapter 29, verse 4, says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's just clarity that that's what this story is about. It's about the exile. He's speaking to the exiled. Verse 5, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. 
marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not, do not decrease. In other words, it's going to be more than two years. Build homes. Build families. You're going to be here for a while. This exile experience is going to be a little bit longer than what you had hoped or what you anticipated down to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back into this place, to bring you back to Jerusalem. 70 years, two generations. You're going to be here for a while. And here's the reality of this. Comfort is instant. Relief is not Comfort is instant. Relief is not. I saw that this week as a, as a dad. Friday night we had a plan after dinner to go out and have dessert. Always want to look for an excuse to celebrate something. So we're going to go out and have ice cream, and my two boys were fighting, 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 fighting. They were having fun, like, but they were wrestling and doing their whole thing. And I've been a dad uh, long enough now to know that that typically either ends with me stopping it or one of them getting hurt. But, I mean, that's, they're eight and six, and that's kind of the, that's the story. That's what happens. So I wanted this to be a good dessert experience. I said, boys, stop it, please. Let's stop with the wrestling. It's not time to wrestle. Put your shoes on. Get in the van. We're, we're going to go have some dessert. Yay. Wrestle, 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 wrestle. They didn't want to stop. They didn't want to stop. And because I am the amazing, gracious dad that I am, I gave him another chance. And I really, really want, I said, stop it, please. Boys, stop it. We're going to stop wrestling right now. Get your shoes on. Get in a van. Let's go. It's going to be great. You can see where this is going. Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. So I went over to put my shoes on. And as I'm tying my shoes, uh, I so want to offer grace in this situation because I really wanted some ice cream, frankly. Um, (laughs) I'm tying my shoes. and And I literally said in my head, truly, I said, if this ends in a cry or a crash, then we're not going. And three seconds later, uh, one of the boys got smashed into the corner of a wall, and, it, and ah, ah, ah! so I run over to him and instantly grab him and pull him in. He's crying. He's got a, nog- a bump on the noggin, and I'm holding them, and I'm saying, comfort, comfort my people, comfort, <laughs> comfort my people. Instant. Comfort is Instant. And then everybody settled down, and I felt the noggin on his head, and okay, we're, we're settling down a little bit. And he says, oh, I'd really like to go have some ice cream, Dad. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, son, relief is not. <laughs> and he didn't understand what I was saying. I was working on my message, so I knew exactly what was happening here, and he didn't, he didn't understand. I told him, I said, I said comfort, you know, I, I told you guys we had to get in the van, and you didn't listen to me. So we're not going to do ice cream. Ah! All of a sudden, his head hurt even more than it did before, and we went into this whole deal. Comfort is instant. Relief is not. This is what happens when someone who goes into the hospital for a heart attack or a stroke And then they're in the hospital and they just want to get out as quickly as they can because they have so much work to do. But the whole reason that they're in the hospital in the first place is because they're too stressed out and their work has put them there. And so the comfort comes quickly. They got the the beds, those are really cool. But the relief, it takes time. 
There, is a, there, there are seasons in our lives when, when as the result of either our own decisions or circumstances around us, we need to stay in Babylon a little bit longer than we want to. Because the relief of that tension of being in this place we don't want to be is not instant. Comfort is instant. Relief is not. And here, right after the verse, uh, verse 10 here in chapter 29, is one of the most loved verses in Scripture. Certainly a highlight in the writings of Jeremiah. Some of you have this perhaps framed in your home somewhere. 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This verse is directed towards those in exile. This is about the exile story. This is about our exile stories. And again, I know that many of you are in some sort of exile in your life. You're in a place where you have been for a painfully long time, much longer than what you would prefer. Maybe some of you have been unemployed for a painfully long time. Some of you have been single for a painfully long time. Some of you have been in a difficult marriage for a painfully long time. Some of you have been childless for a painfully long time. And there's this feeling, this sense that God has forgotten you, that God has sent you to Babylon and moved on to other things and forgot about you. You thought, maybe I'll be here for a couple years. But the story is that you're there for 70. In our home, we, we, do, the, we do the timeout thing with, with our kids. We do timeout, and it's sort of a step between that and, and spanking, which we don't do. Uh, so the, the, the timeout is this, is this softer stage, softer phase, and uh, I know that many of you, you know, none of you have done this, but I have made the mistake of forgetting my child in time out. <laughs> and this is, this is a situation where there's something going on. I say, you know, go in time out. And then uh, life just so quickly becomes so peaceful and wonderful, I don't want it to stop. And, and then I forget that I've put somebody in time out. And then there have been more than one occasion where my wife comes in and says, do you know that your daughter's in timeout still? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot to run in. And there was a time just recently where I came in. She had fallen asleep, drool hanging down off her thing. Wake her up and, Lila, Lila, are you sorry for what you've done? And at this point, neither of us can remember what happened. So she's going, yeah, Daddy. I'm going, good. I'm oh, just never do whatever it was again. Good. Okay. Glad we learned this lesson. So, so. Sometimes it feels like God has forgotten you in time out. But let me just tell you, 
God is a way better father than I am. And he will never forget you in time out. He knows your pain, your story, how long it has been. He knows where you are in your exile experience. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has not forgotten you. And I pray this morning that you would trust in his timing and in his plans for what he wants to do in and through you during your time in Babylon, during your exile time. I want to look at at one more prophet, and it's kind of the next major prophet. His name is Ezekiel. I invite you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. And Ezekiel gives us some picture into why God wants us to stay in exile for a period of time. Why God, what God wants to do with that time. Here, let me uh, read verse 24 here. Chapter 36, verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. Here God is, is saying through Ezekiel, saying, soon I'm going to take you out of exile. I'm going to take you out of Babylon. And I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land, into Jerusalem. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. And this, I love verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, the reason God wants us to spend a little more time than we're comfortable in Babylon, in the exile, in the hospital, is because he needs to perform heart surgery, heart transplant surgery in us. And the issue is that if we return from Babylon to Jerusalem too early, if we return with a heart of stone, we will go back to the same people, the same places, the same job, the same travel schedule, and we will experience the same outcomes. If there are any here in the room who have recently um, had a marriage fall apart, and that is an exile experience. That is a painful Babylon experience. And it is a mistake for you to enter into another relationship quickly because you'll bring that heart of stone into that relationship and experience the same result. That in that exile experience, God wants to renovate, transform, renew your heart and replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And and that can be a painful process, chipping away at this calloused stone covering around our heart. Chipping away at that can be painful and long. But God wants to do that to reveal a heart of flesh that is tender and ready to enter back into Jerusalem, enter back into other kinds of relationships, etc. Comfort is instant. Relief is not because God wants to do heart-transforming surgery on us. After we've 
ignored the warnings or, or stumbled into this exile experience, God wants to do something in our hearts. I want to I close by um, going back to the book of Isaiah. If you would go back to Isaiah chapter 40, I want to reread where we started from. The reason I want to go back to Isaiah is that I want to make sure that we're crystal clear now, 2,500 years after this story, that the hope that we have in our exile experiences, our hope is through the person of Jesus Christ. I just want to be crystal clear about that. Here in chapter 40, Isaiah writes, Comfort, comfort. Uh, Verse 2, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Her sin has been paid for. There's this sense here in the second verse of chapter 40 that our sins can be paid for by our suffering. That we can experience enough suffering in order to cover, to pay for what we owe as a result of our decisions, as a result of our sins. That's what they were, that's what they were working on, trying to function with in our Old Testament, in our old, under the Old Covenant. But that's not our story. Isaiah continues to tell here in chapters 40 and beyond, continues to talk about a person, a suffering servant, who will one day suffer great physical pain to pay for the sins of others. And this was very odd for the Hebrews because never had the payment of sins been transferred to a person. It was always transferred to an animal, a goat etc. Never was it transferred to a person. So Isaiah was writing this down, very unsure of what, of what was happening, of what was going on. He, uh, some would say that he even wondered if this was going to be him, that he was writing these things wondering, is this going to be my future? Am I going to have to do this? He didn't know that he was writing about the person of Jesus Christ. 500 years before Jesus, 500 years before the Roman Empire, 500 years before There was even such a thing as a crucifixion on a cross. The whole concept wasn't even invented at the time. He writes this in Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 4. Isaiah 53. Verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah didn't even understand what he was writing when he wrote this. But now we have the luxury of knowing what Isaiah didn't know, that this suffering servant that he was writing about is the person of Jesus Christ. And the hope that we have in our exile experiences, the hope that we have as the result of our not paying attention to the warnings of God, the hope that we have with our hearts of stone, the hope that we have in life is in Christ Jesus. 
That is where our hope comes from. Now, it is, it is so cool to me that God spoke so beautifully through Isaiah. It's in the first 39 chapters of his book that he talks about warning, 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 warning. And in the rest of the 66 chapters, chapters 40 through 66, it's comfort and hope and, and the prophecy of a coming Messiah. 39 chapters, 27 chapters. Do you know how many books there are in the Bible? 66 books. Do you know how many books there are in the Old Testament? 39 books. So here this, this first 39 chapters in Isaiah, there's a chasm, there's a break between chapter 39 and 40. And in the first 39 books of the Bible, there is a major break between the Old Testament and the New Testament. At Easter, that's why we're calling it the crux of the story. It is the center point. It is the, it is the focal point. It is the, the changeover time for, for the entire story. That the first 39 chapters slash books are about warning and about here's who God is and about, about here's how we're, 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 we need to understand just how powerful he is. And then the other 27 books are about uh, uh, ongoing life transformation and hope through the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, just, we are just thankful for your story. We are just incredibly thankful. And I know that, that the concept of, of an exile, though it, it doesn't connect with our, with, our, with our stories right now here in 2010, God, the, the idea of being separated from the place that we know you want us to be, that, that we can connect with. And so, however, God, you have translated the concept of an exile, Father, I pray that you would pour comfort into those places that your comfort would be instant, God, as you promised in Isaiah 40. But God, since the relief is not, since the tension remains for us to figure out how we are to have a restored heart and how you are going to use the power of, of the Holy Spirit in our lives to transform our hearts, God, I, I pray that each one of us would be open to your timing on that, that you would come and bring us the hope that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. It's in his amazing name that we pray. Amen. I invite-